Thanks again for joining us here at the St. John's campus of Redeemer Church. If you haven't done so already, we would love for you to subscribe to our content here on the Redeemer podcast. And a great way for you to stay connected throughout the week and everywhere you go is with the Redeemer app. It's free and you can download it wherever you get your apps from. Just search for DeWitt Redeemer Church. Right now, let's go to this week's message from Pastor Tim Trometer. As Moana and Maui sail across the ocean, the ever-prideful Maui is unwilling to help Moana on her quest without his magic fish hook, the source of his power. So before they can quest for the island of Tafiti, they must first recover Maui's magic fish hook. But one problem they face, however, is that with the heart of Tafiti out on the open water, other power-hungry monsters are, are searching for the heart and its power. And trouble arises as a band of marauding Kakamori pirates attacks their small boat. But where Moana, she, she has a vision and a mission to live out, Maui, Maui doesn't. And without unity between them, they almost lose the fight. And the mission to restore the heart almost fails before it even begins. Let's watch. Moana was dedicated to her mission, and she was willing to risk everything for the sake of that mission. And what I hope you saw in this clip was how close they came, how close they truly came to failure due to that lack of unity and mission and purpose. You see, unity of mission and purpose is at the heart, it's at the very heart of the explosive growth of the early church, which, which began with Jesus' words in Acts 1.8, giving God's mission to his disciples, where he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. See, and then the Holy Spirit enters our world at Pentecost, and, and once that happens, Peter stands up and gives a sermon a very powerful sermon, and and the result was that 3,000 people joined the body of Christ. God's purpose for the church, obviously, is that to bring people into faith of Jesus Christ. And throughout the book of Acts, the story remains the same. God wants the church to grow exponentially. And the growth of the early church, you see, it didn't happen merely because the disciples were devoted and obedient to Christ, although they were, it was more than that. The explosive growth occurred because God's people, they were were all on the same page. There was unity in the mission. And if we're going to be a healthy church, healthy enough to see lives and families transformed here in St. John's, then unity must prevail here, too, to see us move from the inside of this place out into the world, then four things are going to have to happen. Four things. First, we must have the right DNA. Second, we must be a faith community devoted to the spiritual growth of both the churched and the unchurched. We must be united, and we must hold each other accountable. And we're going to go through those four here, starting with having the right DNA. We must have the right DNA. The DNA of a church is the foundation, the foundational building blocks of a church. And just, just like DNA is the foundational building blocks of a human body that determines the attributes as we grow and, and develop, so too does the DNA of a church. 
our DNA expresses who we are as a congregation, who we are, what we are, why we are, and why we exist. Now, on a grander scale, big picture scale, our DNA, the DNA of every church is the same, right? There's, there's like the main DNA structures that we're, we're all supposed to make disciples, right? Every church is called to do that part. But just as all human DNA creates humans, right? Like you don't have a baby and all of a sudden it's a, it's a fish, doesn't happen like that. You know, all churches are called to make disciples. So, in big picture, you know, all churches make disciples, all humans are making humans. But our DNA also expresses who we are as a congregation and why we exist. But our DNA also creates each church to look a little bit different. That's the, kind of that component of the DNA, those unique character traits, those, those unique differences that meet the needs of our unique context. Because St. John's is a whole different animal than every other community. In a good way. Not in a bad way. In a good way. For a church to be vital, it must have the right DNA. And the DNA of a church is what defines who and what the church grows to become. And our DNA defines our physical attributes, our character traits, and everything that makes us a unique church. If there's an issue with our DNA, it's expressed in how we live out our mission. Just like if there's an issue with our DNA, it's expressed in our personhood. Our DNA is our heartbeat, our life flow, our foundation that we build everything on. And our DNA as a church is that we connect people with the love and life of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. That's why we exist. And we take this mission seriously. I, I take that mission seriously. It's why I get up in the morning. Honestly, it's why I come here. It's why I come to church. It's why I do this job. Because it's not a job to me. It's why I go out of my way to talk to people I don't know in hopes that God will open up a door for me to have a conversation about faith. Our DNA, the building blocks of our church, is our missional calling to connect people with the love and life of Jesus Christ. We have to have the right DNA. The second thing that we have to have is a devotion to spiritual growth. The second point is a devotion to spiritual growth. To thrive on the outside, we must first thrive on the inside. Jesus' calling to witness is first in Jerusalem, right? Is first here. We have to thrive on the inside. The heart and soul of thriving in the early church, church rested upon the initial model of the body of Christ. And to succeed on the outside, the early church had to thrive on the inside. And so in the, the book of Acts, chapter 2, we find that model of how the church began to build that up. And we find it in Acts 2, starting in verse 42. And all the believers, all the believers, how many of the believers? All the believers. Okay, so we're talking unity now, right? Because it's not like some of the believers, but all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, how fitting, and to prayer. 
our health and vitality as a church are directly proportional. That's a math term. That means when one goes up, the other goes up. Directly proportional to our willingness to grow into the likeness of Jesus Christ. The more our personal and communal faith thrives, the higher our outward growth will become. Spiritual growth and church growth are directly proportional. If we are not growing spiritually, our church will not grow. Find any church that has a growth problem, and you have found a church that has a spiritual problem. Any church that has a growth problem is a church that has a spiritual problem. If our faith development is stagnant, and we don't intentionally focus on spiritual growth as a church campus, not only will we lose our ability to fulfill our mission, but we also lose our ability to be missional in our community. We're never going to get outside the walls that surround this building. Think of it this way. How many like hot, anybody like hot dogs besides me? So there's a couple of people hot dog fans. Okay. Let's say your business is making and selling hot dogs out of your hot dog cart. Right? All right, now I got some of your attention. All right, your business is making and selling hot dogs out of your hot dog cart. For decades, you make a good living making and selling your homemade hot dogs out of your hot dog cart. And then after a little while, you decide to outsource your homemade hot dogs because of the time and the energy it takes to make your hot dogs. Uh, So you continue selling your pre-made hot dogs out of your cart and sales start to go down a little bit. But not really enough to significantly affect your bottom line. So... Because let's be real, nobody really quite makes them the way you do. After a while, you find that you can no longer maintain your hot dog cart. Taking it as a sign of the times, you move your hot dog cart into your office and put up a sign outside that says, Come in for the best hot dogs in town. But sales continue to decline, so you again decide to downgrade your outsourced hot dogs to the bottom line generics. Cost, you know, you have to cut costs somewhere. And then after months and months of paying the bills out of your savings account, you're faced with the harsh reality. And as you lock the doors of what was once your business and you look at the sign of the pet grooming business that's opening up the next day by two city slickers coming in with skinny jeans and slick back hair, you start to question, where did it all go wrong for your hot dog business? And it hits you, and you realize you know exactly where it all went wrong in the decline and the ultimate demise of your hot dog empire. It was that decision to stop making homemade hot dogs. Now, it may sound silly, It may sound like a silly comparison, but the same is true with the church. The decline of many churches is not the fault of a program or a pastor or a conference or a cultural shift. The decline of churches rests solely on the decision to stop making hot dogs. Let me explain. Our hot dogs... (laughs) I see some confusion. Our hot dogs... Is our, is our missional call to make disciples. 
to grow in our faith. It's what we call spiritual growth. This missional calling is not just introducing people to Jesus Christ, saying a prayer and one and you're done, and, and now you're a member, so get your perks and privileges. No, it's, 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 it's spiritual growth. It's, it's becoming a community of faith where people continue to grow to move on, to become, to continue becoming a mature follower of Jesus Christ. Spiritual maturity. It's a goal that, that each of us strive for on an ongoing basis until we reach Christian perfection, as Wesley said. Sanctification. Which Wesley, John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, said that we can obtain in this life, but very few do. He also said, you are either rising or falling. You cannot remain the same. You cannot stay still. So if you are not growing in your faith right now, there's only one other option for you. You're falling. This is why, as a church, we developed the spiritual growth plan at Redeemer. So that every person in the community of faith can identify where they are with their walk with God and can find next steps to guide them toward maturity. I encourage you to go on the website and look at the adult page and look at the spiritual growth plan and figure out where you are and where you can go next. Because we are called to be a church where both unchurched and churched people love to attend. Where all people are growing toward maturity as followers of Jesus Christ. And when we're devoted to this kind of spiritual growth, the Holy Spirit will continue to grow us in here and out there. We must be committed to spiritual growth for churched and unchurched people alike. The point three, the third point, is that we have to be united. We have to be united. Unity above all else. Acts 2 goes on to say this. A deep sense of awe came over them, and the apostle Apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money and with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in people's homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. And after, and all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Friends, we are the Gentile church. We are the Gentile church. Well, well, maybe not. I guess that's an assumption. So I guess i got to take a poll. Is anyone here a convert from Judaism? Anybody? Okay. We are the Gentile church. All right. Now I can say that. We are the Gentile church. You never know. There could have been someone who was, who was Jewish and is now Christian. There were two movements in the early church, one in Jerusalem and one with the Gentiles, and they're very different. In the Jewish church, it was composed of 100% Jewish people, Jewish converts, and they continued to practice the law of Moses in the Old Testament. They worshipped in the temple, and they practiced their faith 
Um, and they shared a common purse, meaning they had money together. They experienced many signs and wonders, and the Holy Spirit moved among them. And the people spent a lot of time together outside of the temple, but the temple was the center, central gathering place. And they failed to live out Jesus' calling of Acts 1.8 because it was all about studying the Bible, the Torah, the law. It wasn't about living it out. And they turned inwardly in Jerusalem, which we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks. But the temple and Jerusalem became synonymous with the church building in our time. But the Gentile church was different. In the Gentile church, it took on a different form with no temple to meet in because they weren't Jews and they couldn't go in the temple. They had to meet in people's homes. And they didn't worship in any specific way because they weren't Jews. And then a Gentile church didn't have the scriptures to rely on, and so they, focused, they didn't focus on academics and study. Instead, the Gentile church sought to practice their faith and keep each other accountable. They shared the gospel by living lives as examples in the world for others to see and invited people to come and see what it meant to be a Christian. It was a laity-led church, and the focus remained on right behavior. And here's something neat. Preaching was reserved for non-believers. You didn't preach at people who believed. Our unity as a church is what allows us to be a powerful influence for God in St. John's. And when the church is united, the community knows it. But here's something else the community knows. When the church is not united, the community knows it, don't they? Very much so. A divided church has no power. A divided church has no power because God wants a united church. The early church had great power and moved forward for the kingdom of God at great speed because it was united in purpose and vision, and the people of the church held everything in common. And for us, that's our DNA. So let me share our DNA with you again. The mission of Redeemer Church is to connect people with the love and life of Jesus Christ. Through various ministries of our church, we desire that people not only meet Jesus, but over time grow in their faith so that they live obediently to his commands and become comforted by his character. That's straight from our website as is our threefold vision, which is this. Our threefold vision is that, number one, we believe that God has called us to focus on being a church in this community that church and unchurched people alike love to attend. Two, we believe that our outreach and presence in DeWitt and St. John's should transform the values and cultures of the communities. Three, we believe that God will use Redeemer Church as a catalyst for renewal and transformation. Our passion is to assist other churches in becoming healthy and vibrant congregations. For God to do what only God can do in this community, we must remain united in our mission and our vision. And we hold in common, when we hold in common those values, that mission and that vision, we'll be able to do it. Like the early Gentile church, we must model ourselves from their example. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to sharing of meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer, which consequently is also the founding verse of our life group program at Redeemer. The last 
point is that we have to hold each other accountable. Point four is we have to hold each other accountable. It is essential. Accountability is essential. And to illustrate this need, we're going we're gonna to skip ahead a couple chapters to chapter five of Acts. To a, an account of a married couple that um, is really fun to preach on. About a married couple named Ananias and Sapphira. And their story leaves us with, the, with this wrestling tension of the importance of accountability and the need for unity in the body of Christ. And I'm just going to go right through it. Um, it comes from the very beginning of chapter 5, and it says this, But there was a certain man named Ananias who, with his wife, Sapphira, sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. They held everything in common. With his wife's consent... He kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your hearts? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell, whether the property was yours or not to sell, as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't, ly you were, you weren't lying to us, but you were lying to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor dead. Everyone who heard this, heard about it, was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. She glad we didn't do this during the stewardship campaign. <laughs> Sorry, that's the preacher joke. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied. That was the price. And Peter said, How could you two even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. And instantly she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her before, beside her husband. And great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. The story of Ananias and Sapphira is, is frightening and it, it is straightforward. The early church held everything in common, which meant that people sold everything they had and brought the church the money, the money of the church. But Ananias and Sapphira decided to keep some money back, which, which by the way, was, was allowed to do. They were allowed to do that. They didn't have to give it all to the church. They it was fine that they kept some back. The issue was that when they were asked about the amount of the selling price that they were giving, they lied about it. That's the issue in the story. The issue is not that they held anything back. Ananias and Sapphira's sin was that they lied about what they were giving. You see, if there is dishonesty in the community of faith, there's no trust. If there is no trust, genuine fellowship cannot happen. There can be no unity in the church if there is deceit. Like it or not, it doesn't matter how you read the story, the point remains the same. God expects honesty and unity within the church. And when dishonesty emerges, God takes action and holds the guilty party accountable. 
and most most seemingly significant or most seemingly significant problems in the church don't start as big issues. Big issues never start as big issues in the church. Often they're these little tiny things that are allowed to fester, and over time they be, this dysfunction becomes the characteristic of the church rather than just a lone event that happened. When individuals aren't held accountable for small things, those small things can be quickly become significant things that become disruptors to the church community, disruptors of our unity. And that is why we must hold each other accountable as the body of Christ. And I like what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, where he says, let us consider how we must spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. Our charge, our charge as the body of Christ is to encourage one another in growing toward spiritual maturity. And that means that when we see someone in our midst sowing seeds of discontent, sowing seeds of disunity, we must hold each other accountable when it's still the small things. It's not my job to say, hey, that's not what we're about to every person who comes through the door. It's our responsibility as the body of Christ to be the body of Christ. We're all in charge of keeping the unity, every one of us, because it is our mission. It's all of ours. We've been charged to be united with the same mission to connect people with the love and life of Jesus Christ. The story of Ananias and Sapphira tells us just how God deals with those who, are, who bring disunity into the body of Christ. And and I'm not trying to get all soapboxy, you know, fire and brimstone on anybody. That's, that's not me. You know me. That's not my, not my style, not how I roll. But I would rather be redirected by a brother and sister in love than face the judgment and the wrath of God. But that's just me. You can have it any way you want. I'd rather be redirected in love. Now, this is not giving anyone license to air grievances to, to everyone else or not giving anyone permission to dump on people or to vent at people. I'm encouraging everyone here just to keep your eyes out for each other, to look for ways to spur each other on toward love and good deeds. By helping each other, we grow in unity together and hold each other accountable. You see, we know our mission, we know the way to go, and it's right before us, and I am ready. I am ready, friends. I am ready to lead us forward into the community. I am ready. Are you ready to join me yet? Because I'm ready to go. I'm ready to do this thing that we've been called to do. Will you unite in this mission to connect people with the love and life of Jesus Christ? If you will, this place, this building, and this community will never be the same again. And this world will never be the same again. Let's pray together. Lord, we seek to be your church. And in this time of new direction and reclaimed vision, we seek a path of unity through the whirlwind of all the chaos that surrounds us. And we know what needs to be done. 
Though having the faith and trust in an unknown future leaves our hearts still at ill at ease. Give us the courage, Lord, to devote ourselves to growing into your image. Unite our hearts and minds to your calling to reach this community for the sake of your kingdom, for the sake of your son. Give us the courage to stand firm in the mission that you have called us to and to hold each other accountable for your kingdom growing in this place. And we ask all of these things in the name of your son, Jesus, who is also our Savior. And the people of God said,